Uh, we've been in this series here at Celebration Church where we're going through the book of Matthew, and it's been a great series, and I've loved it. Uh, I think a lot of people are getting a lot out of it, and it was all based off of a primary text, actually right at the end of the book of Matthew, and we're pretty familiar with this section of the Bible, and it's the Great Commission. A lot of us have heard that before. Jesus gives his disciples, he's talking to them, and he gives them what we call the Great Commission. Uh, another way to say it is that it's the mission, and it is the mission of the church, and by the church, I mean the global church. So it's all churches everywhere that worship Jesus as God. This is the mission that we're supposed to be on, that Jesus gives us. It is supposed to be our mission. Uh, it's also the mission of local churches. So that's churches like Celebration Church and other churches in our community that worship Jesus as God. It's supposed to be the mission of our local church. And companies and organizations will often have a mission statement. Most of them do, and most churches have a mission statement. And no matter exactly how it's phrased, the mission of the church is what we find here in the uh, back of the book of Matthew. This is the mission that the local church is supposed to be on. And it's also the mission of what I'll call the invisible church. And that's those of us that make up the church. That's you and that's me that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and live for him. That it's the mission that we're supposed to be on as Christ followers. That he gives this mission to the disciples and it's the mission that we're supposed to be on. It's supposed to be our mission and it's supposed to be our great commission and life. And we read it in Matthew 28, 19 and it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're supposed to be going and making disciples, that the mission that Jesus gives us is go and tell people the good news. Go and tell people about me. Go and see people come to know me and be my disciple, which means that they follow me. So it says, go and make disciples, and the next line is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we should see people being baptized. It's the idea of being immersed in water, and you come out, and it's people saying, I want to publicly demonstrate that I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I am dead to my sins. I'm made alive and new in him, and people are baptized, and we see that happening, and we do that here at Celebration Church, that we see people coming to know Jesus, that it's an important thing. And we see that happening, and there's public testimony of that. And then the next line is, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's the part where we kind of usually slump and kind of let off, and we don't talk about that much. And what we've been doing with this series is going to the beginning of the book of Matthew and looking, what did Jesus teach? What were his commands? What did he tell us? And we're walking through it, and it's been an eye-opening experience for many of us, and very insightful looking through and saying, what did Jesus actually have to say? What were his commands? And so we've been going through the book of Matthew, and it's been cool. And so what I've done in my private time is I've been diving into the book of Matthew. I thought, hey, we're going to be in this for the better part of a year. I think I want to get to know Matthew. So I've been going through it, getting familiar with it, getting comfortable with it, and I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Take some time to get familiar with the book of Matthew and get real comfortable with it and understand it and let God begin to speak to you and minister to you in your life as you read it. And then when you come to church on a Sunday and you hear Pastor Mark preaching it, it's an amazing opportunity to let God really start speaking to you because you've heard it and you read it and you understand it. So I've been going through it. And so what I thought I'd do this morning since Pastor Mark is out traveling and asked me to speak is I wanted to share one of the thoughts that I've got when I uh, have been going through the book of Matthew. And the main thought of the message today is this, that God cares for you. 
that God knows what you need. God loves you. God is a good God, and we're supposed to pray to God for the needs that we have in our life. Uh, we just finished up last week uh, getting into Matthew chapter 6, and this is where Jesus uh, begins by teaching us how to pray. He teaches us how to pray. So we said, pray like this, and Pastor Mark walked through it, and we looked at how did Jesus teach us to pray. And this is a prayer that we pray together every week here at Celebration Church. It's the Lord's Prayer, and we read it in Matthew. It says, our Father in heaven. So God refers to himself as Dad. He gives himself the title Father. And Jesus says, when you pray like this, pray like you're talking to your dad. And it's a picture that we really understand, right? Because a lot of us are dads. A lot of us are parents. We're moms. We understand the idea of a kid coming and talking to us about what they need, right? Or what they think they need, at least. Uh, my kids will see a commercial for Disney World and think they need to go to Disney World. Well, they don't need to go to Disney World. They just need to be quiet and do what they're told. But... <laughs> but... That's kids. They, they talk to their parents about what they need, and we don't yell at them and, oh, you speak to me, you know, dearest heavenly, you know, daddy, you know. No, kids talk to us about what they need, and that we're supposed to approach God in that way, and God knows what we need. It's a good reason to go to a parenting conference, to learn how to be a good parent so we can reflect the nature of God well, since God shares that title with us. But God refers to himself as a father. The next line is, hallowed be your name. So it's words of praise and adoration and thankfulness to God. That we're supposed to praise him in our prayer. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's kingdom language. And it sounds kind of like that great commission, doesn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go make disciples. Sounds a lot the same, that we're supposed to be praying about the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be praying that people would come to know him. We're supposed to be praying about God's will being done here on the, in the earth. There's situations that are going on in our lives and with our loved ones. We're supposed to be praying for those things, that we can pray for God's kingdom. So we can experience heaven. We can experience God right here, right now. And it's not just something for when we go to heaven, but that we can experience him today today, right here, right now in our lives, and we can pray for that. Uh, it says, give us this day our daily bread, and that'll be kind of the section I'll hang on as we start going through it. They're praying for daily bread, their daily needs. So and it says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And the idea of forgiving us of our debt, it's the picture of we have a debt against God, that literally we've got a debt because of our sin between us and God, and that God is faithful and just to forgive us because of Jesus dying in our place for our sins, and that we're supposed to approach God and ask for forgiveness of sins that we're supposed to pray about that. And God is faithful, and he's just, and able to forgive us. And the Bible says that he is slow to anger, that he's ready to forgive us. God is there to pull you out of whatever you're in, and that we're supposed to pray for that. And in turn, we're supposed to reflect the nature of God again, and we're supposed to forgive people. And Christians should be as a—we should be marked as people that are walking in forgiveness. And Pastor Mark spent a lot of time on that last week talking about Forgiveness, And so we've walked through that. And then the next line is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That we can pray proactively about temptation. We know where we're tempted. We know where we fall into sin. And that we can pray about those things, the Bible says, that God would literally keep us away from situations where we'd be tempted to do what is wrong. Great pray to prayer over our kids, to pray that God would protect them, that God would keep them out of tempting situations in their life, that God would hold them. 
So the line that we pray, one of them every week, is give us this day our daily bread. And sometimes I think that we don't believe that God is very concerned about our physical, practical things. God's just not concerned about it. That's not true. God is. Sometimes I think we tend to think that prayer is only supposed to be about spiritual things. But not about physical, not about practical, not about our needs. And yet, Jesus tells us here that he cares, that he cares for us, and that you can pray for the practical things in your life, for your physical needs. Do you know that God cares for you? God knows what you're going through. We can pray when we find ourselves in trouble. We can pray when we're sick and need healing in our body. We see it in the book of James in chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So you got trouble in your life? The Bible says pray. You got trouble? Pray. Some of us, we got big time trouble. We got trouble in a big sack. We've got baggage and we've got carry-ons and we've got trouble in our life. Some of us can relate. I think everyone here probably has some trouble. Some of us have smaller trouble, but we've got it. And the Bible says you got that in your life? Pray. I care for you. Pray about those things. The very next verse in 14 says this, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. So you got sickness in your body, you need healing, pray about it. Call people in the church and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm sick. I need healing in my body. After the service, there's an opportunity to ask for prayer. We'd encourage you. You need healing in your body? Come and ask for prayer after the service. Are you joining us online? There's an opportunity to ask for prayer online. Pray for the needs that are happening in your life, the Bible says. And I think a cool happens when we're in the habit of practicing praying in this way and we pray for our daily needs. I think it grows a spirit of thanksgiving inside of us. It helps us to become a thankful people with thankful hearts and spirit towards God. Um, there's a verse earlier on in uh, the book of James, chapter 1, and it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything good that you have in your life is from God, and it's an opportunity to be thankful to Him. We just read in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's a verse we can hardly even relate to because how many of us know that we've got daily bread? Most of us know what we're going to eat today. We've got daily bread. So we hardly can relate to the verse, but there was a time when this was written, they didn't know where their daily bread was coming from, and so it was a serious prayer. God, we need daily bread. We need bread. And I, know, I don't know about you, but I've got a refrigerator full of food. And if I don't have a refrigerator full of food, I've got condiments. I promise you I do. I've got lots of condiments in my fridge. I've got like seven different kinds of mustard. I've got like all kinds of salad dressing. I've got pickles that would last me forever. And I've got food, and there's food in my pantry, and the end of the world could be coming, and I'd be alive for a long, long time just living off the food that's in my house. And that's most of us. We know where our daily bread is coming. So we can be thankful to God. God, thank you I've got food to eat. Thank you that I've got daily bread. And the, the verse says, give us this day our daily bread. We can pray for others that don't have food to eat. There's people in this world, don't, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Give us, give our. We can pray for other people. We can pray for other people's needs. And we can be thankful that God has blessed us with so much here in America. And when we pray for provision... It'll build that thankfulness inside of us. So God knows what you need. The psalmist spoke of this in Psalm 139. It says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. 
God is familiar with you. God is familiar with all your ways. He knows where you're going. He knows where you've been. God knows you. God loves you. God cares for you. It says, before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. God knows the words that are even on your tongue. It says, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me, God's hand is in your life. God is moving in your life. It says, to such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, that we can't even get our heads around this, and it's hard for us to get our heads around. The idea that God knows me, really, all these people, and God knows me, maybe he knows I exist, but does he really know me? And that's the claim in the scripture. That's what we believe. That's the image of God that's disclosed to us in the scriptures, that God knows you in that way. He is familiar with you, and it's hard to even get our heads around. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You can't run from God. His spirit is on you. His presence is with you. You can't run away from God. It says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. You go up to heaven, you're doing well. You're, I mean, it's the idea of life is going good and you're pursuing God. God's with you. He's a part of that. God's making that possible. It says, if I make my bed in the depths, even there, you're, there you are. So you're making your bed in the depths. Life is dark. You are running away from God. You're doing the wrong things. You're not pursuing him. It seems like he's distant. Maybe you're running away from God. You're avoiding God. It says, even there, God is with you. It says, uh, if I rise on the wing of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, it's the idea of just getting in a boat and trucking it away from God, running the opposite direction of God. It says, even there, you, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. God, you can never get too far away from God. God wants to reach out and pull you back. Never think that you've gone too far away from God. It says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So maybe you've got darkness in your life. Life seems dark. It's, it's the idea that, that God is just distant. Things are not right and things seem dark and dire. It says that God sees through all of that. God sees light. It's about the very life of God coming into whatever situation you find yourself in, that God is there and he's ready to see you through whatever situation you're in. The last verse in that chapter says, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew you before you were even born. When you were in your mother's womb, God was forming you. You're not an accident. You're on purpose. God knows you. He created you in your mother's being. He's familiar with you. You may have had a bad childhood. You may have had a bad family life. You may have had a rough go at things. God knows you. He's aware of what's going on in your life. The next verse, Isaiah 49 and 16 says, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. God has literally etched your name in his hand. That means God is really into tattoos. He's written your name on his hands. If you got a tattoo this morning, God's okay with you. He likes tattoos. He's written you on his hand. He is, he's got your name. He knows you. He's aware of you. So we'll get back into Matthew chapter 6 again. It says this in verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet... <laughs> Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
So he's saying, hey, look, the birds of the sky, if I take care of them and I feed them, you who know how to build barns and you know how to store things in barns and work for it, how much more am I going to even take care of you? The birds don't do anything to deserve this. They're birds, and I take care of them. How much more will I take care of you? So it says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't do anything to grow. They're just in a field. And it says, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That, if that is how God clothes the field of the grass, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? We see the picture of flowers growing in a field of grass. Or right here in Wisconsin right now, we've got dandelions everywhere, right? If maybe if we're from a foreign country or foreign planet, we would think that they're uh, flowers, but we know they're weeds, so they're not very pretty to us. But, but how we see things grow and they don't do anything to do it, if God can clothe the fields like that, how much more will he take care of you? So he says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But here's the key verse. It says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Sounds like the mission statement again. It sounds like the commission to go and make disciples, to be about the kingdom business, to be worried about the kingdom of God, to be praying about that, to seek that first and his righteousness. Kind of like, what, what did Jesus command? What are his commands? We're supposed to learn and do his commands. So we're learning how to live rightly. Do those things, and God will take care of you, he says. It would be given to you as well. Um, another verse about birds in Matthew 10. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So sparrows are worth nothing. Sparrows are, have no value at all. They are worthless. They're worthless in the Bible times, and you can't sell them for anything today. It's a buy one, get one free deal. Two sparrows for the price of a penny. You buy one, you get one for free. They're worth nothing. And the Bible says that these things that have no value to them at all, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So God knows even when a sparrow falls out of the sky, and even the very hairs on your head are numbered, or lack thereof if you don't have any hair. God knows, you get, God knows you're bald, or God knows you got a bunch of hair, and God knows how many you've got, that God knows you well. It says, so don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. Uh, a couple months ago, my family and I went on vacation, and a uh, typical vacation for me and my family is we all pile into the car, and we drive a long time. It takes us like 14 hours, and we do it one straight shot. We pack up the kids, and we make it happen. We're, we're, we're up for the, the challenge. So we jump in, and we always, like, our vacation spot we always go to is Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh, my wife and I, we met in Tulsa. We were both going to school there, uh, lived there for a while. We got married, uh, had our first kid, Dylan, there in Tulsa. And we've got all kinds of good friends there and good memories, and my parents live there. Uh, and uh, so we go down there, and we stay at my mom and dad's house. And it's a cheap vacation because they put up the room and board, and they take care of the kids. My wife and I get to go out on date night, so it's a good deal. So we like going to Tulsa, and there's another reason why I really like going there, and I've got a bit of a confession to make. I've got kind of a problem I want to share with you guys this morning, is I really like shoes. Um, 
I've got kind of a shoe problem. I'm, I'm into shoes. And so I like going to Tulsa because I've got a friend down there by the name of Ben. And Ben uh, is also really into shoes. In fact, Ben is so into shoes that he's got a closet full of them that he's never worn. And we happen to be the same size. And so when I go there, he'll just give me shoes. He'll give me shoes he hasn't worn. And I get to walk out with free shoes. So it's a good deal. And ever since I've been a little kid, I've always been into shoes. Um, my mom, she's actually here on vacation with us right now. She was over at the West Side. She was cracking up when I told this, but it's a true story. When I walked out of a shoe store with a pair of shoes when I was a little kid, I had to wear them out of the shoe store. I couldn't wait till I got home. I wore them out of the shoe store, and it didn't stop there. I actually slept in my new shoes. True story. I'd wear them in bed, and I wanted to sleep in my shoes. I never wanted to take them off, and I'm like that still today. When I get a new pair of shoes, I put them on right away. I wear them out of the store, and I'll even sleep in them if my wife didn't kill me. But I like shoes, and I had, I had a big wheel, you know, like those uh, scooters and big wheels that kids ride around in. Mine was in the shape of a shoe, and I had a next-door neighbor that drove it and broke it, and I'm still mad at him to this day and dealing with the whole forgiveness issue, but it fit me perfect. It was a perfect, fit like a perfect shoe, so I'm into shoes. And so my buddy, he likes shoes so much he needs therapy. Seriously, he's got a problem, actually. But he, he likes them so much he opened a shoe store. So he's got a shoe store, and when I go there, he'll give me shoes of his that he just gives me, and then he buy, he, he'll sell me shoes like less than cost. I know he's losing money on me, and he likes me, and so he'll give me uh, shoes at a sweet deal. So that's my little vacation trees. I go down there, and I get to load up on shoes on the cheap, so it's kind of cool. So I've had my heart set on a pair of Sperry boat shoes. Um, you know, Sperry boat shoes, I've just been wanting them for the spring and summer, and I've been checking them out and really wanting them, and I thought, when I get down to Tulsa, that's going to be my big chance. I'm going to get my Sperry's, and, uh, and so I got to his shoe store and he didn't have any. He said, yeah, we're, we don't have Sperry right now. We're working on it, um, but we just don't have them in right now. And so I was kind of bumming. But uh, I had to take my, and so I left and didn't get my Sperry's out of his shoe store. And then since I was there in Tulsa, I had to go to the Apple store and I had to get my computer worked on. So while I was there, I thought, you know what? I know that J. Crew right now has got Sperry's. So I guess I could go into J. Crew and I could at least just try them on and see how they fit and see, you know, do that. And so I went in and they had a couple different colors. They had like an off-white and then they had a couple different shades of brown. And I thought, you know what? I should do the practical thing and get the brown pair because off-white's just way too impractical. My wife will be upset. So I'll get, the, I'll get the brown pair and then my wife won't be mad at me. So I went and tried them on and they smelled so good, like that new car leather smell. And they fit so good and I was so excited. And then I thought... I better do the right thing, and I put them back on the shelf, and I didn't get them because that was date money, not shoe money. So I put them back on the shelf, and my wife and I went back, drove back to Green Bay. And so I've been just kind of getting on the website every now and then, checking them out, and trying to scheme on how I'm going to get these shoes because they're expensive. And, uh, and so I've just been checking them out, and my wife uh, gave me a call one day and said, hey, Bob, my sister and I, we've been out thrift store shopping, and I saw a couple pair of shoe, or a couple uh, chairs in the thrift store that I think would look great in our living room. And you guys are like, this is going from shoes to computers to, okay, I promise there's a point. I'm going to bring this thing full circle. I'm going to bring it back. I promise. So 
I, I'm like, all right, I'll go look at these chairs. And I'm done with the whole used thrift store furniture thing. My wife and I, we got married young. We got married when we were still both in college, had our first kid. And we, we've been broke our whole lives. And so when you're broke and you're married young, your furniture, you know, it's thrift store chairs and cardboard boxes for end tables and crates for coffee tables. And I'm kind of done with it. I'm done with the whole used chair thing. So I'm like, I don't want to go look at these chairs. I'm done with that. So I thought I'd be a nice guy. And I went and looked at them and texted texted her right away and said, no, I'm, I'm not interested in these chairs. Uh, thanks for the, you know, letting me know about them. And so I didn't get the chairs. And I thought, well, since I'm at a thrift store, I guess I could go look at some vintage t-shirts since I'm here. So now we're going to t-shirts. So I go check out the vintage t-shirts and I get to the aisle and I'm like, all right, if I'm over the, the, the thrift store chairs, I got to be over the vintage tees. I'm not even going to look at them. I'm leaving. So I'm getting ready to leave, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a shoe rack. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if there is a brand new pair of Sperry boat shoes in my size, I would be interested in buying those. So I started browsing the shoe thing, and most of these shoes looked like Abraham Lincoln's grandpa used to wear them. <laughs> They were like carved out of wood, and I'm just like, ah, I need to get out of here. And, I, uh, you know, and so then I look, and, and in my eye, lo and behold, is an off-white pair of new Sperry boat shoes in my size. <laughs> I got my Sperrys. <laughs> and the verse came to mind out of Matthew 10 and 29. Are not two sparrows, I mean Sperrys? <laughs> sold for a penny? Why, yes, they are if you get them at a thrift store. Actually, they were a little bit more. That's inflation. The Bible translators didn't account into that. But it says, and not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. God is watching over my sperries. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sperries. There's a gospel hymn that was written from that verse. Uh, Sevilla Martin, who wrote the lyrics, said this about her inspiration to write the song based on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapters 6 and 10. It says this, early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years, and her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me. The hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, was the outcome of that experience. Sometimes God moves even when things don't seem right and things don't seem fair. God's eye is on you. And these shoes, I don't know if God gave them to me necessarily, but he just spoke to me through them and said that his eye is on the sparrow. 
Uh, we're, I'd like to have the musicians and worship leaders come forward. We're getting ready to sing that hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And you can just sit there and listen to it. We're going to have them sing it through for you and uh, before we take communion. And just let God speak to you. Matthew 11 and 28 says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you find yourself a little weary... Weighed down this morning, turn to the Lord and exchange your labor and your weariness for his rest. God cares for you. God knows what you need. God loves you. God is a good God. And we're supposed to pray to God for our needs. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for those this morning that find themselves in trouble. I pray for those that have sickness in their body. As your scripture incurs us this morning, we pray for our daily bread. We pray for the needs that we have in our life. I pray that you would help us through our trouble. Your scripture says that you're a very present help in time of trouble. You said that you're a strong tower, and that if the righteous would run to you, that they would be safe. I pray that those that find themselves in need and in trouble this morning, that they would run to you and find the safety that's with you. I pray for those that struggle to know that you care for them, that you you love them, that you know what we need, that you're good. God, I pray for those that struggle to believe that you are good. Help them this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And I know 